Zeke, do you have a cold open up your sleeve? People need it. To a degree. I mean, this may be more lengthy than cold open, though. Granted, this when this comes out, it won't be. But today is April Fool's Day. I was going to ask each of you, if, you know, what um, memorable or legendary April Fool's pranks you may have from years in the past you wanted to share. Oh, geez. I wish I had something. I, to be quite honest, we were doing a Zoom cocktail party this afternoon starting around five. <laughs> so I can't remember shit. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, my name is John Edwards, and with me as always is Zeke Baker, and together we make the Dash Drink of Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us a part of your day. Zeke, it is so good to see you virtually, like just see your face. Even though you're not here, I miss being next to you, but I'm going to take whatever I can get. How are you? Good. I even uh, clean shaven for once for one of these things. I know. Why did you shave just to see us? <laughs> Well, see, this proves how little you actually pay attention to our relationship. No, you, I know you go to work. It's okay. Every Tuesday night or possibly Wednesday morning, I shave. That's been the regimen for seven or eight years now. I do know that. I like you telling people about yourself. Well, do you know why, though? Because that's your shaving day. Because it gives me the perfect shadow over the weekend when I used to go out a lot. <laughs> I love your logic. We have one of our very, very, very good friends on with us, and that is Dan Gardner. We're going to get to him in a second. Before we do that, want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by CassCartel.com. Changing the industry standard as to how you get your alcohol. Right now, more than ever, you may need alcohol delivery. Go to CassCartel.com. Have them get your liquor shipped directly to your door, whether it's whiskey, gin, vodka, rum, whatever it is, they have it. Let them ship it to you. Some of these prices for for some of the allocated stuff maybe a little bit higher than you would see in a store but guys it is a convenience play right now it is the ability for you to actually get this stuff shipped to your house go to cascartel.com see for yourself follow them on instagram they're always doing awesome giveaways like blanton's gold that they just did cascartel.com and cascartel on instagram now without further ado let's get into it the man the myth the legend you know him you love him dan gardner from four roses how y'all doing man we're just maintaining the uh the new normal that's what i think the kids are calling it these days yeah you know i'm of the age where it gives me an appreciation for what my parents went through uh, during world war ii a little more serious maybe back then maybe a little more life and death i don't know but very different it just gives me an appreciation for things so interesting times for sure i gotta tell you i am just super impressed by your hat though i don't i mean i want to get you were getting serious here for a second but that hat is the coolest hat i think i've ever seen is that like the one that you wear when you're playing out in the bars on the weekend i have not had this on in two years I, you know I, i'm a very conservative guy hats typically don't do it for me but at least I don't think they do, but you know, I actually got this down on uh, from the, the hat shop there on Second Avenue in Nashville. That's a great store, but I yeah. think you look really—I mean, you look like a musician in that hat. <laughs> a bad one. <laughs> well, it's good to be able to go incognito from time to time. I mean, if, true. if you're at an event and I'm looking for Dan. This ain't it. I see that hat. My eyes keep rolling immediately. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Look, look for the hair. He's, he's right here somewhere. And I think this is the first time I've seen Dan in a long time without a fishing shirt on. That's even better. You know, he doesn't have his Four Roses fishing shirt on. This is true. This is true. You always know when Dan's there, like everybody else from Four Roses, they're wearing the polo, they're doing the other stuff. Not Dan. He's like, I got these made. I got the <laughs> Columbia fishing shirts and I put the Four Roses logo right on the sleeve. Bingo. So how you been? What have you been up to? I think the last time we saw you was more in the fall with some events that were going on and 
we're looking forward to this time of year. We we would have already seen you at Whiskey Warmer if it wasn't pushed. So it's getting to the time of the year where all the events are happening. That's got to be tough for you, a guy that's on the road all the time. We're getting ready to launch Select in Tennessee. The orders to the distributors are going to be in within the next week. So that we're, we're launching Select <clears throat> under these conditions. Now, I was in Missouri. I think it was, it was the 9th, 8th or 9th was a, no, it might have been the 13th. I, I don't know. And launched up there. And that was the week that all of the restrictions started hitting. So when I was there with Lore in uh, St. Louis, there were me and three managers. And it was a video hookup with all the their salespeople from all over the state. You know, the next week I had probably 10 different tasting events set up. It's a big chain market with Schnooks and Deerbergs and, and uh, Dirt Cheap. And then I had several events line, uh, at night lined up and then just, boom, all canceled. So I was going to be up there for in St. Louis for two weeks or Missouri. I was going to head to Springfield after that. Had three or four events in Springfield on the weekend. So it was going to be a, a long road trip for me. And boom, just all canceled. Two and a half weeks later, uh, here I am still is still in the house, and I, I, I don't, really don't know what's going to happen. Of course, we're, we're my distributors in Tennessee are going to be launching Select in within the next week, but you know, stuck here. I w- want to do tasting events, but ain't going to happen. Is what it is. Well, at least you know for now, and hopefully the foreseeable future, all the uh, liquor stores have been deemed a uh, what is it? A, a essential. Yes, <laughs> it, it is very essential. They have all been deemed essential. Except for Alabama, they got all theirs down. Did well, they? in Pennsylvania, hadn't they ever ever heard of medicinal whiskey? And pretty soon, Zeke's going to be filling whiskey prescriptions. It's shocking and appalling that the system is broken down so bad in those states. So. Thankfully, I have enough in the bunker. You know, Zeke, you, you doubted me before, but I am ready to survive the apocalypse here. Luckily, worst case scenario, even if they uh, they tried to pull some of that nonsense here, we, we know a few people that I think would open up and leave the lights off from the register and not tell anybody. He mentioned... Uh, Snooks, that place has a bottled and bond that's only three years old. Who are they getting that from? No, but did you see it? It was a, uh, I got to show you the label sometime. It says uh, Snooks bottled and bond. And then on the back, it says age three years. You know, about five years ago, six years ago, I, I get a call from Scott Smithson, who's the general manager of my distributor there, Lore Distributing. And they were buying buying a private label from Heaven Hill at that time. It was their Schnooks bourbon. Of course, Heaven Hill, like everybody else, back six, seven years ago, cut them off. They were running out of uh, 12- and 18-year-old Elijah Craig. And I remember getting the call from Scott, would we want to step in there? Well, you know, we were do- we were going through the same thing shortage of bourbon and we certainly couldn't do it so you know that's the one thing that i have seen it it, it seems the the secondary the bulk whiskey market is starting to loosen up a little bit now you know there's just more and more things that are starting to hit whether it's from the major distilleries probably less so maybe in certain cases more you know some of these smaller distilleries craft distilleries or to get money flowing or doing custom distillation. So if I ever get back to St. Louis, if the virus doesn't get me since I'm in that age group, well, I got to start drinking something here. Oh. And I was going to ask uh, either what was in the glass now or what was uh, the best pour from happy hour. I was drinking just a regular single barrel, but I will show you some things. I, I started thinking about what in the hell am I going to talk about? And uh, <laughs> so I, I pulled some things. I've got some things that from tastings, you know, back when Rutledge retired, there's an event in uh, Kansas City called the Paris on the Plains. Kansas City didn't observe prohibition very tightly. It <laughs> <laughs> be a nice way to put it. So it was it was known as the Paris on the Plains. So they do this cocktail festival. So right after Jim Rutledge retired, I set this thing up. I was very close to several people there. A very, very good friend is Ryan Maybe, who uh, owned Manifesto, which was a bar in the basement of the Rieger Hotel. 
and the Rieger was where Al Capone stayed when he came to Kansas City. And what I love about it, the the, the urinals in there are those full wall, you know, six foot tall urinals. And above each urinal is a brass plaque that says, Al Capone pissed here. (laughs) Anyway. Ryan was very tied in and just a good guy. He's tied in with the Rieger Distillery now. So if you ever get there, go to the Rieger Hotel. But Ryan was tied in with the USBG. So we, Brent Elliott went in with me. We did a blending deal with all of the USBG bartenders there. So I've got all of these little 200 milliliter samples. These are the actually the ones that we use here, the 200 milliliters. So we gave each bartender five different recipes to do their own small batch with. So it was one of the neater things we've ever done. I just remember they've been sitting in my basement for, for four or five years and thought I would pull up. I've got an OESK that's six years old, but I've got an OESO that's eight. I might start with this one. <laughs> you never know what's in Dan's basement. You never know if his son is going to come over and drink it. So we better get to it first. <laughs> oh, God, don't get me started there. <laughs> what are you working with there, big cat? So I am drinking the Woodland Wine Merchant uh, from a couple years ago. I, I know Zeke gives me a lot of hell, and this is giving me an opportunity to kill some bottles that have been open or that I needed to have opened and now kill. This is a OESV, 10 years old. It is the PS Run Tier 4 from 2018. What about you, Zeke? Besides, you're smoking a cigar. What cigar you got there? You know, I get all these things randomly. Carlos Toronto, Exodus 1959, 50 years. I don't know what that means. It's good. I don't know. What are you drinking? Um, the uh, the special K pick. It was a plump jack pick that went to uh, the CNS uh, um, straight up group. I think what's funniest about this pick has always cracked me up just because it, it goes to show you how much, uh, I guess, variance we all can have in profiles. Is They did that pick a few years back. And one of our good friends, uh, Aaron Stein, really loved this one. I mean, just went off the rails for it. But the group, Plump Jack, didn't take it for the store. It got voted down. You know, this was a few years back when picks weren't as uh, hard to come by as they are now. And so, you know, Mandy and the team offered Plump Jack if they wanted it. Josh Tins and uh, folks, they just threw it up and straight up and said, look, we can get this. We voted it down for the store. So really, it's going to take you know, a, a certain percent of this group committing to buy a bottle or we'll just say, sorry, we, we thank you for your kindness, but you know, we're good. It took a minute to gain some speed. It really did, but it took off. The group ended up taking the barrel. It's a really damn good pick. It's a, uh, OESK 10 year, one month from H E, uh, one dash two M. All I'll say is from at least the experience I have with both the sets of K's, I think they do better when they sit lower. I know a lot of people in Four Roses really like the high tier stuff, but at least from what I've had K-wise, those seem to do better lower. And uh, Dan, you you can enlighten us if that's right or wrong or somewhere in left field. Here's what I'm going to say about that. OESKs, to me, some of the best I've ever had have been OESKs. But they, they also, there's a wide variance to me of quality with OESKs. Some... Again, some have been the best I've ever had. Others have been, you know, okay. They're bourbon. Uh, you know, they probably need to go into a yellow label. And what I'll say about OBSD, we use OBSD for our regular single barrel for a reason. They're very, very consistent. So the quality level on OBSDs will range from here to here, where OESKs will just, you know, will be from here to here. And to me, it's not as much about tear as it is about the barrel. You know, if you get a honey barrel, that's really the key for me. You know, people get fixated on certain things, and I don't think you can really do that. If you get a if you get a barrel that's got a lot of sugar, natural sugar to it, and Zeke, that, that you know, the last podcast we did, I think that OESV was a perfect example. It was 100. 
2728 proof, that bottle from London, Kentucky. That was just, there was so much sugar to that, so much caramel to that. Even at 127 proof, you, you get a little sting to it, but it wasn't overpowering. You're, you're, you're a little more sensitive to the, to the higher alcohols. To me, it's about the barrel. It, it's about the barrel variation as much as it is about tear. You know, I've had some OBS. I love F ye strength. And I've mentioned this before. I've had that had an OBSF that was at that BMI record release party for the Roosevelt's back four years ago. Got my hands on a bottle. It was 127, 128 proof. Thought it was going to be kerosene. And it was just, God knows it was good. Very similar to that OESV that was... You just get a barrel that's got a lot of sugar. The sugar will mute the alcohol. It'll mute the wood. You know, sugar will mask a lot of flaws. And I hate to even use that term. It, it will mask the excess alcohols and will mask the excess wood. That, to me, is the key. And I've had some OBS. I've had some Fs, some OBSFs at lower tier. And that one that I spoke of earlier, there was a tremendous amount of caramel to it. So... I've had some lower tier stuff, which typically are a little softer, a, a little more caramel to them, and I, I just I didn't like them. So to me, it's not as much about tear as it is just the friggin' barrel variation. The more I do it, the more I, I lean towards that. Because as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about, for me, that same thing with the K, I get a lot with the Qs. There are some cues that I think have been really, really, really good. And then there's some cues that I'm like, yeah, you know, it's bourbon. Absolutely. Okay, here's the deal with Q. Q, if you read the, if you read the notes, it is there for the floral note. It is there for the nose. Q doesn't supply a lot of flavor to the bourbon. So what does that mean? If the yeast strain's not laying down a layer of flavor, what's happening is it's going to allow the mash bill in the barrel to show through more. So cues are going to be dependent much more so on the barrel because if the barrel's got a lot of sugar to it, it's going to balance out. It's going to kind of cover up the excess woods, wood and the alcohol. The mash bill is, is important, but to me, I put it down about third or fourth in terms of what it does to the flavor, to be quite honest. So cues, you got to think about if that barrel's got a lot of sweetness to it. If you get a, a, norm, a cue, the wood shows through more typically to me. Now, again, if you get a, you get a honey barrel, that sugar kind of masks the excess wood in, in, in cues that typically shows through. And even with those, you still get that little bit of, of bitterness to it on the finish. Probably not as much, but you still get that little drying, bitter finish on cues. Jim Rutledge always said cues age quicker. And why is that? The wood takes over. If you take an old yeast grain, and the next thing we're going to do, I'm, I know what we're going to do. I'm going to get distillate straight off the still of the different yeast strains. And that's the best way to... To taste, you taste old yeast grain rich tropical fruit versus a Q distillate right off the still. You you can see it. The when Q, this is all over, we need to do that because that sounds yeah. like the most interesting thing. That yeah, I'll had sign in up. For that. The yeast strains really show through more on distillates. And the re again, once you throw the wood into it, that's really the wild card, the, the barrel. Before Zeke comes in and asks a question, Zeke, I've, I've moved on to No Bark, All Bite, which is a favorite of ours. This is my second of third bottles. It's an OESV from a couple years ago. I missed the pick. Zeke went on the pick, and this is a legendary OESV. It's an LE. It's a pretty high proofer, and it's a good one. To that note real quick, I still laugh because people always think that the uh, the bark and the bite lines are in there as to, I guess, oak content or a lack of bite. But it kind of goes back to the throwback of, uh, you know, they, people would say, you know, some dogs, they're all bark, no bite. Well, this was the inverse. It was the, it was the real damn deal. <laughs> but my question, uh, kind of back to the barrel thing, especially now as you see a lot of these newer places seem to uh, store their barrels upright as opposed to horizontal. And I guess especially if you take possibly rotating out of the equation, to me, that almost makes more sense. Because if you're leaving it laying horizontal, and especially over time, 
you're going to have at least, what, 25% to maybe even 50% of those staves that are no longer touching juice. So does upright make more sense? You know, somebody much better at math and, and, you know, volume calculations is going to have to have to address this. But to me, I really don't know if that makes a lot of difference, to be quite honest, in terms of, you know, up, you know, palletized barrels versus, you know, traditional uh, racking systems. I really don't know if that makes uh, all that much difference. I'm open to anybody educating me. Zeke, A, excellent question. B, I think, Dan, the whole podcast we did with you last year where you were talking about closed staves versus open staves. Yeah. And say you have some of those staves like Zeke was talking about at the top, like you could have ones down on the bottom that are all open or even down on the bottom that are all closed and the, the open staves that are in your barrel. I mean, it's a crap shoot. You don't know. It, it really is. And, you know, one of the things, and I don't know why I've never thought of this before, but there's only a couple of months ago, had somebody in for a barrel selection and, and y'all been in there. Y'all, when we go into the dumping room, you see the, you see the new barrels rolling in, they're filling them, they're, they're dumping barrels right there in front of us. And I, I took some people over to a new barrel and you can just see the open grain versus tight grain staves very, very easily just touching it and, and looking at it. So uh, I've been taking people over to the new barrels if they're if they're dumping and filling at that point. It's really, really obvious. And, you know, I, I've brought this up to to some people that have been in the business a while and, and they've and I've brought up the, you know, the deeper burning of an open grain stave versus a tight grain. And they look at me like I'm from Florida. And look, I don't know if I'm right. I'm just doing, for for me, I try to approach things from a logical perspective. If the grain is open, it's going to burn deeper. So if you you get a deeper burn, you're going to go past caramelizing the sugar, the natural sugars in that barrel, into dark toffee and into burning it. You know, I've tasted a lot of barrels before. You just some barrels, you just get more tar to them, and to me, that's that's the issue with it. And then you start talking about the amount of sugar that's in a particular tree or, or barrel. It's just. And the one thing that I'll say, if if you go to Independent State, they'll give you that sheet of information, and they'll say that you ask, ask Jimmy Russell, and he'll say, well, the barrel provides sixty to sixty-five percent of the flavor of a bourbon. What's the last, What's the only thing we typically never talk about? It's the barrel. So that's providing sixty to sixty-five percent of the flavor of the bourbon. So that's my issue: is that you've got to understand that depending on that barrel. It's going to mute the effects of our yeast strains. Now, you're going to get some some commonalities over a thousand barrels of an F yeast strain or an O yeast strain, but that barrel is going to mute the effects of the flavor of that particular yeast strain. It's going to tamp it down. It's, it's going to tamp down the mash bill. The barrel, to me, is it's not the end-all, be-all, but it, it definitely has a huge, huge effect on it. So, well, uh, you know, going back to you're talking about the being there and the, the pick experience, that's kind of what led me to that train of thought was, you know, for anybody that's been there and been on a pick and had that fortunate experience, there's the chalk line that shows, you know, the guess of yeah. what the fill level is. Yeah. Which to me, is usually about, it's closer to the middle than it's closer to, the, you know, three quarters up for sure. Absolutely. That's kind of what led me to the thought of, well, you know, if this thing's sitting here and obviously it's all hypothetical, but say there are some really good staves that are sitting there in that, that topper part or, or upper part, whatever, they're no longer touching the juice. Would you be better off if you had it turned 90 degrees and then at least it's getting something out of that stave? It's not getting the full contact, but. The, the only thing I'll say to that, if you look at it, we, we've got a capacity of 400,000 barrels. It all just averages out to be saying we're we're into extra percents. I'll, I'll completely yeah. admit that. I just wanted to get your opinion on it. Yeah, sure. no, there's no doubt that that could. But you know, you, you just independent stave or any barrel maker just doesn't have the time to 
well, we're going to make this. I, I want to say something so bad, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a, a, a nerdy, um, o- over-inquisitive question. A barrel maker just can't. If you've been through independent stave yet, you got to do that, baby. Look, they're making hundreds of thousands of barrels, and they got to make them quick. The industry was running out of barrels about five or six years ago. We were running on limited production, and it, it wasn't because of a. a and, and when that word got out, where well, they can't get the barrels, oh God, we're running out of oak trees. <laughs> no, we're not running out of oak trees. It was an extremely wet season down in the Ozarks and the the tree cutters, harvesters couldn't get in there to pull them out. It was too muddy. So that was the reason, reason for that. So I wish I knew more. I know enough to be dangerous. I've made some assumptions. We admit that, you know, based on just thinking about things, you know, the Q yeast range, looking at what Rutledge said to me, the Q's age quicker. and, And the reason is, the wood starts going through more because Q doesn't, to me, doesn't produce a lot, any flavor. Let me ask okay. you something on that note. So say, for example, oak does become scarce. Do you think at that point bourbon just becomes more premium or do you feel like TTB would relax the restriction on a charred oak barrel? Well, The TTB doesn't have any restrictions on oak barrels now. You can make any kind of whiskey you want. Well, Uh, on the on the definition of bourbon, right? No, I don't. That ain't ever the 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 industry. What that would do, it would allow the cheaper whiskeys to come in, and nobody's going (laughs) to. The last thing any distillery now is wanting cheaper crap to come in and to be masquerading as bourbon. Can't wait for my pine barrels that it was uh, (laughs) aged in. Pine salt. Pine salt bourbon, baby. I can see the stickers on the side of the Four Roses bottles right now. All right, I'm going to show y'all something. And I've got to bring up this. this, I haven't talked to Robert in a couple of years, but he came a very good friend of mine. So I'm going to tell y'all one of my stories. So this is a Jack Daniels single barrel. Now, what I want you to do is look at at the the label on it. And that is a poodle from Party Mart in Jackson, Tennessee. But I'm going in with the salesman. I'm driving down from, uh, we come through Martin, Tennessee, and God, I I can't think of the guy's name right now. So we're driving down, and we get to Jackson. We're pulling into the parking lot. And the salesman looks over at me and says, you know, the owner didn't really know I was bringing anybody with me. So uh, if he's a little bit cold to you, just roll with the punches. So I'm thinking, oh, damn. Okay. So I walk into the store, and the counter's off to my left, and his office is, is a little bit further up to my left. He leans out the door with his glasses down on his nose and just goes, doesn't say a word, just so I'm thinking, okay, I've got a tough nut here. So I'm walking around the store, and he's got two dogs running around the store. Our Matt Damon in the middle of this story, by the way, <laughs> our very own Matt David with his own Matt Damon mask just joined. And we have Michael Hines on this podcast, a very special guest. I didn't even know about this guest. Hey, guys. Hey, Dan. How are you doing, sir? Fine, man. Absolutely. So hold on, Mike, before we get to you, Dan was in the middle of this story of the party mart and and the owner looked back at him, didn't say much, just went back to what he was doing. I'm walking around the store looking at things, you know, just there are two poodles running around the store, sniffing everything. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So I walked by this display, Jack Daniels single barrel. And I, I see this shield on it. It's got a poodle on it. <laughs> I'm not a hardcore arm twisting kind of salesman. So, but I'm not, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. But my first thought is if he's got a poodle on the bottle of his Jack Daniels single barrel and these two poodles are running around the store sniffing everything, he must like dogs. Finally, we get called into the office, and the the only thing I talked to Robert about for the first 20 minutes is dogs. 
You know, I've got, I had a, a big black uh, Great Dane that I found, and that's the only thing we talk about. Bottom line on it, you've got to, my only point to this whole story is you've got to find some common ground with people. And sometimes it's not what, it's not exactly the purpose you're there for. And we've been friends ever since. You know, I talked talk dogs for literally at least 20 minutes, if not a half hour before we got down to business. Yeah, I and, bet if you wore that hat, he would have been your friend a lot quicker. Well, maybe. <laughs> well, Great Danes are amazing dogs. We had them uh, when I was in high school age. Really, some of the best things ever. Oh. And, uh, to lead Mike in here, this was uh, completely unannounced. I was mentioning earlier, and I said, yeah, we're recording the band tonight. I said, are you shitting me? Like, <laughs> town and not told me, like, did I piss him off? And I was like, no, 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 it's just on Zoom or whatever we're doing these days. Like, oh, okay. Like, well, I think I made a good time because Dan was talking about Jack Daniels. And yeah, that was that was perfect timing, right, Dan? Absolutely. I still think about that green label you poured me that night. Pretty damn good. Yeah, that old 70s Jack. That's when it was actually uh it was it was good back then. Absolutely. And this is a pretty good single barrel, man. I'm, I'm, I'm drinking it now. So I just want to know what the hell is Heinz doing up at 10 o'clock at night? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I set my alarm clock and I got up just so I could come do this. <laughs> he, he's only here for 10 minutes at best. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm sleepwalking. I, I went to get my M&Ms and I decided to, to interrupt. <laughs> this is the perfect thing. We need to do this with Heinz more often because he could just kind of come in, do a flyby. He's yeah. happy with that. Like, hey, guys, how you doing? Now I'm gone. Yeah, well, once, I, once again, as Zeke said, I heard uh, he told me Dan was was podcasting. And I was like, hasn't uh, hit me up and he's in town. And uh, once he said it was remote, I said, well, I'll do that. I only have to wear pants for that. <laughs> None of us are wearing pants. Yeah. I don't well, need no stinking pants. Yeah. Well, well, Dan, you'll have to, uh, we'll have to come back on here in a few weeks. We have that 15 year old barrel that we picked coming in and I'd love to, to get you a sample or a bottle and we can all kind of taste it, uh, live. I'd love to do that. I wish I had been in on that tasting, but I'm not worthy. <laughs> I'm not either. <laughs> well, guys, I will let you get back to the regular scheduled, uh, podcast. I just well, Mike, what have you been yeah. up to? I mean, let's take a second. You were nice enough to come on. How have you been doing through the quarantine? I do like seeing the pictures of you taking the Can-Am around downtown Nashville when nobody is there, but how's this been going for you? You know, I, I think like most, I'm still going to the office day to day, trying, you know, living downtown is fun until everything's closed. Part of the perks of being downtown is you're close to everything, but when everything's closed, you just live in a little small condo, and it's it's uh, you kind of entertain yourself. Well, the only good news is I've got enough booze behind me that I can last at least a week or two. <laughs> I think the thing for me is I was so happy that we moved into the house because if I was still in the apartment right now with a four-year-old trying to entertain her every day, I would be going crazy. You know, it was the first time that my wife uh, in three years uh, said she missed our old house in the suburbs. <laughs> yeah, she's working from home, so she actually is, has made me go to work every day. So I have to go out there and fight uh, the virus every day. And because she's like, if you're home all day, we're not, this marriage isn't going to last. <laughs> <laughs> I have wondered that as a, uh, a side effect of, of Corona. You know, what, what's going to be greater? The amount of babies in you know, nine or ten months or the divorce rate? Man, I'm telling you, I think, I think the divorce rate is going to outweigh the, the, the babies. It, it, <laughs> at, least, that, it, at least in the states that are selling booze, those people yeah. are. Yeah. How's it in Kentucky, Dan? How's the house? I know that your mayor seems like he's got his stuff together. When it comes to politics, I'm I'm one cynical SOB. And our, our current governor is kind of a legacy. His father had been governor. When all this blew up, I knew that he was going to be using this as a springboard to get to the Senate and that sort of thing. So, But what I will say about him, he, he got out ahead of it. Uh, uh, it got way out ahead of it as opposed to a lot of other 
governors when he shut things down, initially made some unpopular decisions about shutting everything down. You know, he's kind of done the right thing. Well, I just like when he tweeted out, my advice to everybody is not to go to Tennessee. <laughs> I was watching the uh, the news conference when he came out with that, and I was just like dumbfounded because the three counties he mentioned were Christian, Todd, and Logan, or the three counties right north of Clarksville, Tennessee, and, and, that, and kind of northwest of Nashville. My Todd County made the big time. So, <laughs> now, uh, in his, de- his defense, though, even without COVID-19, you probably shouldn't come to Tennessee. <laughs> well, yeah. It's just, Why? Because so, we're here? Yeah. The rate for Kentucky has been, and not to get all serious for a second, I think the hard thing through this time with all these podcasts is we have this tendency to get serious real quick but the rate in kentucky has been super low tennessee is a lot higher than than kentucky was and i would say that you know bill lee the governor of tennessee just a couple days ago did a safer at home order but he was slow to the game there were people calling for it for weeks hey hey, john have you already asked dan am i just late is four roses completely operational besides picks right now to, just to bring it into bourbon? I mean, how's the day-to-day at Four Roses? Well, the distillery shut down for at least another week. We we had a distillery worker, from my understanding, and don't quote me on this, but he had been exposed to a person that had been exposed to a person. I really don't. All this is second and third hand. So we're, I really don't know when it's going to be back open. One of the, so so you guys the, aren't distilling at all? Warehouse and bottling facility is still open. And when people ask me, oh, my God, your distillery shut down, you're going to run out of bourbon. Well, you know, in five years, no. You know, we've doubled our capacity. We've we've got excess capacity. So it's going to be very easy for us to catch up, to be quite honest, even if we shut down for a month. Just a lot of capacities in terms of distillation. So we're fine. You know, and again, warehouse and bottling is still open. So there's no problem with us. Well, one big question I have, I mean, from somebody like you who's seen the ebbs and flows, there's a lot of distilleries that are diverting production for hand sanitizer. What do you see the lasting impact will be from COVID-19 on the whiskey industry? Well, short term, their sales in package stores have been through the roof, as you all know. Long term... God knows, I you know it, it's hard to. The big question there, John, is going to be the on-premise segment of the business. Number one, how many people are just not going to reopen after yeah. this thing is lifted? I've talked to several people, and then in the average that I hear is about twenty percent. But crap, probably about twenty percent of on-premise businesses closed during the course of the year anyway. That, that might be high, but. That's going to be the real issue is how quickly we can get back up and running on premise. Right now, the package store, you know, people are stocking up like bourbon's toilet paper. You know, (laughs) that's the only way I can put it. You know, a friend sent me a meme the other day. I'm going out for the third time this week to stock up for the next two weeks. All I got to say is that I did a grocery delivery today and I could not get any milk, but I sure as hell have enough bourbon. Well, I'll go ahead and uh, you know throw it out there. You know, any of those uh, on-premise accounts that were slated for picks don't necessarily want to do one. You, you put you got a mic down, we will be there. <laughs> really, the only on-premise pick that I've done down in Nashville was for uh, 404. Mm, what a great yeah. pick that was. You like that? Yeah, we were together on that one. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you both were on the label, too. Yeah. Come on, Dan. You were on Jesus the sticker. I'm talking about this, this recent one. Well, it just got into the warehouse, but crap. You know, he, he, he shut down. He can't take it, I don't think. Yeah. I, well, I heard that they were there all day. So, I, you know, I, you know, we'll, I'll be hitting the streets pretty hard as soon as we get, get back up and running. So. Well, it doesn't have to be a Nashville account either. We've, we've got friends. You, you just let us know. <laughs> Our problem is that we have 600 barrels for the year. 
and I'm going to put this in perspective. I've got to be careful what I say here because I don't want to lay anybody open. Take but, take another drink first, Dan. <laughs> well, there are certain markets. There's 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 certain markets in the in the that I deal with that got in the first two months of January got 40 Knob Creek barrels. And I'm sending in, in the first two months of January and February, and, and I'm giving them like five barrels for the year. So we got some catching up to do, you know, in terms of, of where we are right now. We're small, you know, that that's the thing that we're still a small distillery. We know we're not a, technically a craft distillery, but We've got pretty good production, but we're, you know, we're in the in the grand scheme of things. Once you talk about all the big players, we're we're still kind of small. And that market was in Tennessee, by the way. So it's just more demand and supply is always a good thing for business. It might not be good for all of us wanting to come get a barrel, but it's just where we are right now. You know, one of the things that that I'm gonna talk about is going forward is we're still kind of flat this year on regular 100 proof next year we're going to have more inventory on 100 proof obsv and we're going to be able to do more barrel selections at that point you know i I get a lot of talk from people well you know we want the barrel proof well my first question for for people even within the company is when they start complaining about that is, well, the stores you deal with, do they have Buffalo Trace on the floor? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, our regular single barrel is 100 proof. The Buffalo Trace is 90. Please tell me what the difference is besides the proof. It's barrel variation. And, you know, people dismiss our regular 100 proof barrel program. And again, we don't have a lot to deal with right now, to be quite honest. Well, can I just mention that, you know, Zeke and I would take one of those too, and Heinz would be involved. I mean, we're, we're equal opportunity people. Dudes, y'all, y'all, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Dan, I do have a question. With the uh, new Kentucky bill passing, as far as distilleries being able to ship to consumers, do you see that as uh, the three-tier system going away, or do you see that just as more of the Amazon effect of trying to stay relevant? I think that's the, the latter is, is is the bigger issue. To ship bottles, somebody buys a case, the shipping cost on a case, a regular single barrel or small batch or whatever, that's going to be damned expensive. We can pretty much all three of us can tell you what shipping would be on a case of bourbon, if you want to know. I love this, Dan. It's cheaper for me to buy a case of single barrel Jack Daniels from California and have it shipped to Nashville than it is for me to buy it locally. The Nashville and the Tennessee syntax and the 9.25% sales tax. So if you're in Kentucky and let's just say a case of six bottles of Four Roses is $60 MSRP at 8%, you know, sales tax, that's 56 bucks for saving. To ship that six pack to me is probably $22. If you buy more than one, it seems like it's more cost effective to buy direct. You're going to have those anomalies with with the differences in in retailers just willing to cut their margin. That's going to be the big portion of it. If, if there are going to be people out there that are going to be willing to work on on five to ten percent, I think the distributors are going to have to slim up from their twenty five to thirty percent as well. I think that this is going to put pressure down the whole system, and but uh, probably a good thing for the consumer, right? I was having this conversation with someone, and I posed this question: so everybody gets on the retailers for jacking up the price. And yes, there are some retailers that jack up the price, but let me put this scenario out there to you. Distributor gets the bottles. Distributor goes to the retailer and says, Hey, this is the price. Retailer goes back to the distributor and says, Hey, the price you're giving me is over what the MSRP price is. So if the distributor gets a little greedy, wants to take a little bit more of a cut, then that retailer has to jack it up a little bit more. People are looking at the retailer like, hey, you're an ass. You've jacked the price up. But in reality, it was the distributor. Like the three-tier system is flawed. I don't think this destroys it, but I think it's going to make people, because if they can go directly to the distillery and say the price is $79.99, for a bourbon and I'm going to pay 12 bucks shipping and it's 82 bucks. 
that's still cheaper than the $125 that it ends up at retail after everybody has taken their cut and got a little bit greedy and marked it up more. Well, let me say this in terms of the wholesaler. The wholesaler is going to price that pretty much the way the supplier wants it, to be quite honest. That is typically not the problem. Typically, there are always exceptions, but if uh, Julian Van Winkle, and let's just put the onus where it is, if Buffalo Trace, most big suppliers are not going to let wholesalers rate the price. I'm just going to put it the way it is in, in terms of these higher end things. It's the retailer that typically is taking the extra margin. The wholesaler doesn't have enough time to to, to to do that. To be quite honest. Well, Dan, I guess I guess to your point, then I'm sure that's the case. But a retailer wouldn't be able to charge eighty nine if they could if someone could buy it direct from Four Roses at seventy nine and have it shipped. I mean, it it could keep the retailers in check a little bit more, right? Time will tell yeah. with, with that. Well, look, here's the deal. All right, Let, let's talk. This is that's a very good point. So. When we sell stuff at our visitor center, we typically have our retails higher than the retailers around us. And there's a reason for that. We don't want to undercut our retailers. We don't want them pissed off at us. So if you look at our retail prices in shop, they're typically going to be a little higher than the retailers there in Lawrenceburg and Lexington. Because we don't want we, we, we don't want to undercut them. We need them more than we really need the sales out of our our visitor center. Yeah, typically you'll see that even beyond bourbon, the MSRP or the manufactured suggested retail price. You buy even a pair of Nikes from Nike or a, a Sony TV from Sony at Best Buy and Walmart. It's all the same yeah. price, and that's for you know consistency or, or parity, if you will. So so we think that obviously Four Roses would be the same price they won't sell it cheaper than the retail but four roses can actually then make that delta uh, and make a whole lot more profit which you know they deserve i know i need more money <laughs> <laughs> we could let's drink to that <laughs> but you know something else that you know you could you know send up to the the higher up just from seeing it with uh, some other kentucky labels you know, we all know older juice goes into yellow label, but if the distillery somewhat being closed down and, you know, say you had to hypothetically dump in extra old barrels into a batch or two of yellow label that we could find by a coat, <laughs> it would be a good rumor to start on the boards is all I'm saying. Rumors are good. You know, <laughs> it, hey, it took, it took $65,000 in a charity for us to pull a, a 15 year out of there. So uh, if, if Dan can do it cheaper, let's do it. Well, <laughs> I was really amazed at that, that event from the Bourbon Crusaders. Mike, you were there. It was just like I was dumbfounded at the changes in that event and the people that were there and the kind of money people were willing to spend. And it, it's just uh, it's just another indication of, of the interest in the industry at this point. Again, from when I started two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> you you mispronounced uh, centuries. <laughs> four, four decades ago. It, it's just amazing what happened in the industry now. Even back then, I was always a little bit dumbfounded as to why the industry let its cachet slip away so much. It was just maybe there were just too many distilleries and maybe there are going to be too many more here in the next five or 10 years. I don't know. It's the history of the industry has always been been one of my passions. And I, I just really, really love it. And to see it come back the way it has. But it also gives me a, a, a much better feel of the way it was back at the turn of the century, 120 years ago. It's kind of becoming the Wild West right now. So and this is not knocking any of them because I think we've seen with a lot of the stuff that's out there now, there's nothing wrong with being an NDP. But Not at all. Absolutely. But with so many NDPs out there, you think about... Your sources are still, you might have 
X number of brands. And then within X number of brands, you have a subset of actual distilleries. Now, granted, every brand is going to do things differently. They're, they're aging things in different places. There are different variables that go on, you know, so just because the, the whiskey comes from the same distillery does not mean it is going to taste the same all these different places it's aged. But at the end of the day, the number of actual distilling producers is still not huge. Or even if there are DSPs, they're still supplementing with contract producing and contract distilling. To that tone, I'll, I'll jump in real quick. But, you know, this is going to be the first year that there'll be Four Roses single barrel picks essentially not in a Four Roses bottle. <laughs> Funny you mentioned that. Obviously, I, I, I don't know how much you, you can or cannot elaborate there. Is that literally, um, you know, similar to Willet, where they took other distilleries' normal mash and just aged it in their own ricks? Or is that a un- unique mash or mashes and any other, um, you know, curveballs that could be thrown in there? Well, look, all you got to do is, is, is look at those that neck tag, and it's one of 10 recipes. And, you know, you, you don't have to be a rocket surgeon. <laughs> well, I like, have you seen the picture say. of the pick program? And we're not going to name the place. No I, right. no, I haven't. I should send you a picture of the pick program because they have 10 different barrels on the wall, and it doesn't actually say anything with letters it's just this is mash bill one yeast two you look at it that way ndas are a great thing right oh yeah ndas are awesome but it's like yeah this is mash bill one yeast two and then it's getting you this profile so it's essentially telling you 10 different recipes and what you would get from those 10 different recipes well, we, we don't have a contract anymore, so I'm probably free to speak about this, but I'm going to bite my tongue a little bit here. Truly a professional. You never know when you might be selling something tomorrow. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Look, I didn't mean to, to try and you know throw something at you like that. but Look, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm all, all innocent either because when I take people into – you know, one of our warehouses, uh, I, I know where those barrels are and they're marked. And when I take people into the dumping room, if they're dumping that particular batch of whiskey, it's on the barrel head. So they still have a bunch of barrels sitting there with us. And, you know, at, at some point that, that's going to run out. How, how soon will that run out? You know, I, I really don't know if they're not putting as much into their main label anymore. So they can stretch those barrels out for a lot, a lot longer if they do that. I tell you, I got a bottle of the ten-year-old, and I found a bottle down in found it in Missouri. To be quite honest, about a month ago. If you look at their ten-year-old stuff, it will say it's going to say one or two things on the back label. You can pick up a lot of stuff from the back label. The original label said Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. There's only one distillery in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. <laughs> I noticed about two or three months ago that they changed it to bottled in Plainfield, Illinois. So, okay, so I really don't know what that is. But I did buy that bottle of uh, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, 10-year-old. Let's segue to, I saw that uh, the, you know, on the dark webs, if you will, the new label for the 2020 limited edition was submitted to, through 2TB. Do you have any insights uh, on that? Not a damn clue. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all know Martin's close to Brent. He's probably got more insight than the rest of us. Absolutely. This is a, literally the first I've heard of it, but I'm not, you know, I'm not surprised. It's, you know, Brent spends a tremendous amount of time. I, when I talk to him about the 2016 or 2017, maybe it was his first one, I think it was the 2016, and he told me he did like 90 different versions of it. 
my head would explode after about the sixth or seventh for him to put that kind of time and effort in. And I will say this, you know, Brent, Brent's been here now 15 years. The first 10 years he worked with Rutledge. So he's got uh, quite a bit of experience. And I think everything that he's done has just gotten better and better and better uh, every year. I'll be honest with you, his first one in 2016, to me, it never married up. So there was a lot of OE strain in there. And so you had this big truth bomb. And then on the finish, it was very, very dry. So it never kind of melded together for me. It was like you're drinking two different bourbons at the same time. Nothing wrong with it. You know, wasn't, it, was it horrible? No, not at all. But it never kind of melded up to me. So this last year to me was by far his best. And I'll, I'll even say this about the Al Young. You know, the Al Young was probably not my favorite. I know everybody went nuts over it. it had that 22 or 23-year-old in it. If you pull the cork on that bottle and, and pour it immediately, it left you with a very dry, oh, yeah. It was a <laughs> Luke Castle already told us your little secret that you and him had that if you mix the, the limited edition small batch with the Al Young, it's really good. Well, I, I have not done that personally. Oh, he's, he was on a couple weeks ago, said he gave it to you. If Luke is talking, he did. But the thing, but here's the thing about the Al Young. If you drank that down to three quarters, it had some air in that bottle. And you came back to that a month later. Different bottle. Completely different bottle. Yeah. Completely. If you pour a glass and you came back to it an hour later, it's a different (laughs) bottle. Well, yeah, absolutely. So, and and that's what I, that's something I've just really picked up since then is that those old, old bourbons that blows off, that excess wood will kind of dissipate and, and I'll say the same thing about the, the 130th. It had a touch of that. It wasn't as strong as the Al Young. And, and that's me. That's my flavor profile. I love those caramel bombs. So, Well, guys, we are in the middle of quarantine, and we've been going for a very long time. I see that old old Taylor. That's yeah. some old National Distillers old Taylor. Dan is the only one not drinking Four Roses. <laughs> Well, I'm drinking. I'm drinking four roses. I'm drinking that OESV. I'm drinking that Jack, and I'm drinking this old Taylor. It was distilled in the it's bottled in bond, distilled in the spring of '72, bottled in the fall of '81. Hey, I do want to say because we've been going. Yeah, we can stay on after. I have no problem doing that, but we've been going for a while. Something I did with uh, Tim Pearson from Chattanooga Whiskey, we we just released a podcast that was us having a whole podcast where we didn't talk about whiskey at all. We just drank a lot of whiskey and <laughs> talked about anything and everything just because we're all quarantined and we're all holed up. Heinz had to drop. His battery died. For the last it's five minutes. It's clock, man. He turns into a pumpkin. I know we're just going to have some fun here. I'm going to do a little bit of this or that, and we're going to get to know Zeke and Dan a little bit better. So cat or dog. I love them both. You don't have to walk cats. So I'm going to go with cats right now. I've got three cats, but I love dogs, but cats. Zeke. I don't even know. I have to ask me. How about them dogs, baby? All right. What? And now I'll even throw this out since Dan mentioned it. To me, taking the dog for a walk is about as big of a commodity as I got to go mow the yard or do other uh, things that involve, you know, you need to take care of the kids right now because you ain't going to do this other job that I'm going to act like I ain't necessarily want to do, but I'm going to enjoy every damn minute of it. These are longer answers that I thought we were going to get. I thought we were going to rapid fire this, but... You take a cat to the front door and it's raining. Cat ain't walking out the door, baby. That dog will. <laughs> and, right. and you'll want and you'll want to go with it too. All right, Dan. Pancakes or waffles? Oh, geez, waffles holds more syrup. Zeke, same. You got to fill every 
effing square. <laughs> Every square has got to be filled. <laughs> All right. Tea or coffee? Oh, coffee. I just pass? <laughs> Zeke says pass. It, these are the things John tries to drink before pick, and I tell him, hell no, it's going to wreck his palate. <laughs> All right. Coffee for me. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. You Yankee ass some bitch. What? Yeah. Well, you want to get right down to it. You should have said RC. Coke. RC Cola. Coke is uh, <laughs> Georgia, but, you know, if I really wanted to play to the Kentucky thing, you know, I could play to the heart of Winchester, yeah. Kentucky and say L8. L8, baby. L81. I did my student teaching in Clark County. That's Winchester. Yeah. I mean, fr- from a Kentucky grad that I am, Dan, I am a big L8 fan. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Only one brand has the Mexican version with pure cane sugar, which is amazing with booze and or peanuts. Car or motorcycle? Car. I'm I'm assuming Zeke's gonna say a car because he looks well. You can't you can't see that, but there's got a scar right there on the. I was 16. I was coming around a blind curve on a 250 cc Honda. And I almost became the hood ornament for a log truck. I thought Next you were showing me your muscle for a second. No, oh God, I don't have any muscles. I've got a scar right there. I dug gravel out of that for about a year and a half. Barely avoid it. Next thing I know, I'm sliding down the road 55 miles an hour on my belly. <laughs> Lucky it wasn't killed. So, car. I truly appreciate the bumper stickers that say, look twice, save a life. Motorcycles are everywhere. Yeah. My dad told me at a tender age, son, you ain't never getting on nothing with less than four wheels. I got to say this. You don't have fender benders on a motorcycle. You got leg breakers at the best. Burgers or tacos? A burger, baby. Mustard. Oh, Dan, that... I'm a mustard man. I am. I, I don't. Well, do the next question I, I was going to ask you was ketchup or mustard. So at least we've already established that mustard is superior. But uh, I'm a taco man. Last but not least, I think this tells a lot about a person. Toilet paper, over or under? Over, over, over. You got to be a freak to put it under. If you're under, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> well, John. How many times has your kid gone up and uh, slapped that roll that's placed over and half that bitch ends up in the floor? I was an overman my entire life. You get kids, <laughs> they can't slap the roll and when it's under, go all over the damn place, son. I Ooh, haven't thought of that. but that being a father. I haven't thought of that yet, but you know what? It still is so alien to me that I can't do under. I, I can't wait for the next time I'm at your house and I can show Sophia what slapping the roll does. No, Sophia already does that, and then I roll it back up. Don't need a cat. During the kid age, I'm an underman. I'll go back, but for now... Uh, that is a good point. That is a good point, I must admit. Well, Dan, thank you. We have gone a very long time. I have no problem with us staying on for a little bit after. This has been amazing. We always love having you on. When this is over and you are in Tennessee rolling out Small Batch Select to everyone, let's do something in person. And Absolutely. Uh, we're going to do that. Well, also, you know, to that note, obviously John keeps up with our uh, stats, et cetera, more than I do, which is next to nothing, but. Our Dan Gardner shows rate higher. Oh, it is our number one rated show was uh, our our Dan Gardner episode. And it is the one episode that actually gets us to win awards. Dan by now, was this four or five? He's he's clearly leading the race. And um, (laughs) again, they rate higher than anything else. We love having you on. Love the knowledge. Love the insight. There's just not many people that can contribute to that level, especially, you know, as you mentioned, that generation is somewhat getting there. (laughs) I think Saturday Night Live, when you're on for five times, you get that five time timers club robe. If you see Zeke's (laughs) Facebook photo, 
It's him in a robe. I think we need to get a dad's drink of bourbon five timers club robe. And Dan <laughs> would be the only one to get it. I would love that. Dan, thank you so much. Go find four roses, find Dan on social media, do all sorts of good stuff with him. He is one of the most knowledgeable people in the game. We love just the fact that we know him. You can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Find us wherever you download a podcast. And before we go, want to let you know all of our glassware is provided by distilleryproducts.com. The great people, Carson, Vicky, Janie, all the good people over there. If you go to most distilleries and you say, hey, where do you get your laser etch products? They are probably going to say distilleryproducts.com. So they have glens, we glens, they have flask decanters, they have the only place in North America that you can laser etch two of glasses. They have rocks glasses, tipsy rocks glasses. They have everything you need, and they are some of the nicest people you can work with. So check them out, distilleryproducts.com. Dan, thank you. My pleasure, guys. Always fun. We uh, we fully expect to see you in that hat the next time, too, bud. You need to take a <laughs> selfie right now and make that your new Facebook photo because you look badass in that hat. Yeah. <laughs> My wife laughed at me when I put it on to walk in here. So it's that's, totally a thing where guys true. like it and, and the women in our life don't. That's a good sign. Anytime I've ever gotten that response, it only encouraged me further. Yeah, well, that, that, that definitely has done it. So I might do that. All right, y'all. Cheers. Uh, cheers, guys. Ciao.